Okay, I think the reading, uh, excuse me, the, the, the heart of these readings or the, the key to these readings is this second reading from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. The, the readings don't always all match up together. I just happen to think this week that they do. Uh, St. Paul, in this one reading from uh, Romans chapter 13, three verses, he uses the word love five times. Um, I, think, I think that's the key here. He says, um, all of the commandments are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to say, hence, love is the fulfillment of the law. Um, so if, if we want to keep the law of God, the commands of God, then what are we to do? We are to love. Now, this, this is, there's a couple of different points during this homily where things get a little bit, uh, a little bit sticky, maybe, we could say. Uh, so, and this is one of those points. So if love is the fulfillment of the law, then it would be a really good thing for us to understand what kind of love Paul is talking about there. So just, just think about this for a minute. If, if you were to have someone walk up to you on the street someday, something, or come to your house, whatever, and this person, it was clear that their first language was not the English language. And so they're just like learning the language and all they know how to do is go around and say, what does this word mean? What does this word mean? What is this? Like that's all they could figure out how to do because that's their, their limitation with English. And they came up to you and they said, what, is, what does this word mean? And they pointed the word love. What would you say? Just think about that. What would you say is the definition for the word love? I, I think as I look out at the world, so looking at, at the world that we live in, the country, the English speaking world that we live in, um, which may or may not apply to the way that you think. So, so okay. But as I look out at the English-speaking world, when, it, when we ask someone what love means, I think most often the answer is going to be something like, well, it's, it's a feeling that you get towards somebody uh, that's, that's warm and, and nice and, and affectionate. Like, that's what love is. Or that love is, yeah, it's, it's this feeling, uh, you know, that you get and it just... I don't know how to use it without using the word love. Like you get it and you just love them, right? So some, something along those lines, I think, would, would be, you know, it's, it's this emotion or this feeling that we get. Um, and, and so that's, that's but I, I think we can't limit ourselves to that because we all know experiences of people that we love, our, our friends, our family, our spouses, our children, you know, whatever, our parents. We all know experiences of people that we would say that we love even though there have been moments where the, the warm and pleasant feelings have not been present. I, you, I've mentioned this example many times before, so you parents know this especially well. So uh, try to remember a time when, when one of your children woke up in the middle of the night screaming, in the middle of the night, screaming maybe because he or she was sick, and so maybe like they're throwing up, but there are other things, you know, that were going on, and it's just like, so... In those moments, you know, are there any pleasant feelings going on for you? Certainly not, right? It's like, I, I want to go back to bed. I'm maybe irritated. I'm maybe uh, disgusted by, by the, the, the vomit or whatever is going on, right? Like, it's, it's just like no pleasant feelings. And yet, if I was to ask you, like, did you love your kid in that moment? The answer would be like, of course, I, you know, that's all I could do was love them, actually. That's all, I, right? So, so it's, it's, that's proof that there's something deeper than love or something deeper than feelings that are going on. Another, another example that's, that's maybe a little more silly, right? So a, a bunch of people today are, are going to have uh, a lack of warm and pleasant feelings toward their favorite football team. Uh, because their team is going to lose, right? So like, the, but, but nonetheless, if you ask them like, but do you love your team? Well, yes, you know, I love them, you know, right? It's, there's this, so it just shows that love is, it, like, or there, there's maybe a deeper kind of love that goes beyond feelings. 
Of course, when the feelings are there, it's very pleasant and it's very nice. But, but the feelings don't have to be there for me to love somebody. That, I think, is, is so important. For that, that parent who cares for his or her child in the middle of the night screaming and crying, that parent who, who chooses to clean up after his or her child when, when he's sick, um, those kinds of things, it shows that, that love is, is more than a feeling. Um, which makes me think of that 1980s rock song, right? More than a feeling, whatever. Anyways, so, um, so what is it? So the, the classic definition of love is very simple. To choose what is good for another. To choose what is good for another. Right, so if I love somebody, I may or may not have warm and pleasant feelings for that person. But what I can do, even when the feelings are not there, I can choose what is good for him or her. This, this is the example of the, the parent caring for the child. It's like the warm feelings are not there, but I'm still choosing what is good for my child because I love. Right, so that's, that's, that's a classic definition. Not, not, there's a, there's a, a question that can come from this, right? It's like, okay, well, I recognize I, I can choose something. I can choose something or I cannot choose something. But how do I know what's good for another? How do I know, you know, like if I want to love my child, how do I know what's good for my child? Or if I want to love my spouse, how do I know what's good for my, or if I want to love God, how do I, how do I know what's good for, for God, right? So that, that's a really important question. And I think sometimes we could say, well, why don't you just ask? But we know that we can't rely on children, for example, to tell us what's good for them. Because we know that children, if, if they have the choice, and we say, what do you think is good for you, little, little Johnny? He's going to be like, well, give me all the candy and all the pop and let me stay up as late as I want and play as many video games, right? So like, it's like, no, but I know that that's not actually good for you. Maybe, sure, maybe, maybe some of that in, in, in moderation, but I know that it's, it's not good for little Johnny to get as much candy, as much pop as, you know, like, because what's going to happen is, yeah, maybe in the moment, little Johnny's going to feel really excited about, you know, having all of this sugar in his system, but in a couple of hours, he's going to have a terrible stomach ache, and that's actually going to leave him feeling terrible, and it's going to leave me feeling frustrated because I have to care for a little Johnny, right? So, like, so it can't be that we rely on other people or someone, someone who has an addiction to alcohol, right? What's good for you? Well, just give me another drink. No, well, actually, I know that that's not good for you. In the moment, it might satisfy your, 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 your desire for it, but that's not actually a good thing for you, right? So there must be something more than just, we can't, we can't only rely, or we can't even really rely on, on other people to tell us what's good for them. But instead, we, we, gotta, we gotta understand that maybe there's a higher form of wisdom. And especially if we're talking about loving God, um, we know that, that actually it's probably best for us to consult Him rather than ourselves. Because if I'm honest, and if you're honest, I'm a sinful man, you're sinful people. So I have a tendency within myself to desire things that are not actually good for me. I might not always desire things that are not good for me, but I have a tendency, and so do you. We know this, that, that because of sin, we all have disordered desires in, in various levels and various degrees, but, but we can't rely on ourselves to really know what's best for us. But instead, maybe we can ask, like, has God revealed what's best for us? And, and if that's what God reveals is what's best for us, then, then maybe we take him at his word and we try to choose that for each other. And of course, God tells us what's best for us. And what's best for us is eternal life. What's best for us is to love him and to love our neighbor so that we can, so that we can share in his life and receive eternity, eternal happiness with him. Right, so he's, he's told us that. So now it's like, okay, well, how, how do I... How do I find that out? Like, how do I find out what's going to lead me to eternal life? Or how do I find out what he wants me to choose? And again, I can't consult myself because I'm sinful. And I'm not going to consult you because you're sinful. But instead, what am I going to do? I'm going to try to consult things that are without sin. Which, of course, for us as Catholic Christians, we believe is in the Bible. 
And we also heard in our gospel that Jesus gives authority to his church. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So whatever, whatever the Bible teaches and whatever his church teaches, and we heard a couple of weeks ago about how Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom to Peter as the steward of the house, right? So whatever his church teaches, then those are the kinds of things that we should choose. And whatever the Bible teaches, those are the kinds of things that we can choose because by doing those things, we are loving God. And by doing those things, we are loving our neighbor as God wants us to. And in doing that, we receive love ultimately from God, which is eternal life. Right? So this, this, is, this is so, so important. Now, we want to we ask this question. There's a couple of questions that, that come into my mind, a couple of what-if questions. What if, as we're doing this, as, as I'm reading the Bible, what if, as I'm studying what the church teaches, what if I don't agree with it? And we could talk about any number of, of issues with this, and, and easy, like basic things, like how, how the church teaches that we need to come to Mass every Sunday, and how the Bible teaches that we need to worship God every week in a, in a public communal setting. We could talk about more hot topic things like abortion and same-sex marriage and transgender things and, and contraception, and we could talk about how we need to go to confession. Like what, so any, any number of these hot topics, so sort of like stay away from those sort of issues. What happens if I'm studying this and I, I, I decide I don't, I don't agree with this? Well, the good news again is that love is not based on my feelings. It's not based on your feelings. So even if I don't agree with what the church teaches or what the Bible teaches, I can still choose to love by making the choice to embrace even what I disagree with. Just like you might choose to embrace your sick child in the middle of the night because you know that that's what's good for him or her, so too you can choose to embrace what God reveals in Scripture and in the tradition, even if you don't agree with it. Because you know that that's ultimately what's best for you, you know that's what God wants you to do, and you know that's best, what's best for your neighbor. But then from there, once, once I, I make this choice, then, then it's like, okay, well, I want to help other people come to love God. I want to help other people. I want to love my neighbor. How do, I, how do I love my neighbor? Well, again, I desire what's best for them. What's best for them? It's not, it's not physical health. What's best for them is not, it's not like all the pleasure in the world, but what's best for them is, is what God reveals, which is heaven. So how do I help my neighbor choose what is best for, for him or her, which is heaven? Well, again, maybe I go and find some neighbors and I tell them about heaven and about how to choose what God chooses. In other words, about how to study scripture and about how to study the, the traditions of the church, the doctrines of the church, which again is like this, whatever, but like, what if, what if I'm talking to these people about it and, and they don't agree with it? Or what if I'm talking to these people and it, it seems like they're just not living it? What do I, what do, I do then? Right? How, do I, how, do I, how do I do this? Well, okay, let's, let's step outside of this for a minute because I know that this can be really uncomfortable and um, tense. I know that it can be really heated because we run into all kinds of issues about people having different beliefs and about people, you know, like, don't judge, you know, that kind of thing. So let's step out of this for a minute and let's step out of an example or step into an example that's, that's completely removed, but I think is helpful. It's gonna seem like it's an extreme example, but I think it's actually less extreme than the situation where we're at. So in this example, imagine you're riding in a car with one of your friends or someone that you love very much, a friend, spouse, family member, whatever. And as you're riding in this car, you're looking ahead to see what's on the horizon and your, your, your loved one isn't for some reason. And as you look ahead, you see there's a cliff. And if the car keeps going in the same direction that it's going, your friend is going to drive right off the cliff to your death and to his death. What do you do? Well, gosh, you know, I think... 
I, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I, 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 there's a cliff coming and you might want to consider slowing down or just, you know, like, just maybe, maybe, you know, I, I guess I'll, no, it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, stop the car. Don't you understand? Like you're driving toward our, like, you're going to kill me and yourself. And, and like, you got to stop. Like, I love you. Don't you know that, that your life is worth, and like, I, I want you to know that I love you. So please stop, stop going to, to this direction, right? You're going to do whatever you can to just like wave your arms and scream and yell and like get this person to stop. That's what you're going to do. So now you come into this, back to this zone. You see somebody, someone that you love very much. And you see that this person is living contrary to what the Bible teaches and is living contrary to what the church teaches. What are you going to do? You're going to find a way to talk to this person. Maybe that doesn't mean yelling and screaming. Although maybe for some people, that's the best way to get to them. But you're going to find a way to just say, gosh, I... I got I to gotta, I gotta get to know you. I got to share my love with you I gotta, so that I can get to a point where I can talk to you about how you're living contrary to what God teaches, how you're living contrary to, to the way that goes to heaven. You're on a different path and, and I, I got to find a way to open up an opportunity for you to return to the right path. And, and maybe as you're talking to this person, this person says, you know, I think there's different ways to heaven. And, and you just have to say, like, actually, the Bible says there's only one way to heaven. And that one way is through Jesus. And Jesus says that if we love him, we must keep his commandments. And if we love him, then we must, we must follow his commandments. And, and so, like, there is no other way than this way. Right? Like, well, how, how do we do this? Well, we've we got to talk to people, sure, and find a way, sure. But... But I know that this can be tough. I know that it can be difficult because it's like, those are really uncomfortable conversations and it can seem like it can risk a relationship. And, and I know this. I know this in my own life personally, but I also know it in another way. So there's, there's another way. As your pastor, actually, the, the prophet Ezekiel uh, says, says what? The, well, the Lord says to Ezekiel, he says, you son of man, I have appointed a watchman for the house of Israel. The Lord is speaking to Ezekiel, not, not just as any random person, but he's speaking to him as someone he's giving an office to. He's giving him the office of being the prophet, of being the watchman. And so what, is, what does the, the Lord say? He says, when you hear me say anything, you shall warn them for me. So the Lord is saying, look, I'm going to talk to you, Ezekiel. And when I talk to you, you have have to talk to them so that you can warn them. And in fact, Ezekiel, when you hear me talk to you and, and tell, tell you that you've got to warn the wicked people about their ways, and if you don't do that, well, they're going to die, but I'm going to hold you responsible for it. But if, Ezekiel, when I tell you that you've got to go warn them, and then you do and they don't listen, well, they're still going to die, but at least you will have saved your life. You see this, like this is an incredible responsibility that, that God gives to this person who occupies an office among his people. He occupies this, this official role as prophet for the people. This, this is, of course, translatable into today's church, which for me, as your pastor, I occupy an official role for God's people. And so there's a very real thing that the Lord here is speaking to Ezekiel and therefore speaking to all of those who occupy an office in his church. The disciples that the Lord's talking to in the gospel, these are the apostles, the, the leaders of the church. They're the ones who have the responsibility first and foremost to go and preach to the people and to call them to repentance. And like I've said many times, I know that there are times when I preach about certain things that, that are difficult. I know there are certain times when, when I preach about things that you wish I would just leave alone or that I wouldn't talk about. I know, I know there are people that, that 
disagree with what the church teaches about same-sex marriage, or I know there are people who disagree with what, what the church teaches about contraception or abortion or, or transgender things or uh, simply about needing to come to mass, Catholic mass every single week. I know that there are people that disagree with this. And, and so when, when I share these things, it just makes you angry or uncomfortable or makes you want to leave or whatever it is. And, and I understand that. But you have to understand my perspective is I have a soul to say first and foremost, and that is my own. And then on top of that, I, I, I'm called by God to call people to repentance so that maybe they'll repent. And that doesn't mean that I'm telling that, I'm not saying like, I think all of you are going, like that's, I'm not, I'm not saying that I think you're all damned to hell or anything like that. But what I am saying is that I know there are people in our midst that are not walking the way of the Lord through what the Bible teaches and through what the church teaches. I know there are people living in our midst that, that just do whatever they want to do. They think they know better than what the church teaches. And for me, I see that, and it's like, I got a call to repentance, knowing full well that, that sometimes that might mean people might not like me, knowing full well that that might mean that people are uncomfortable to come to Mass. And yet, and yet I have a responsibility given to me by, by the Lord, by His church. I have to do that. But then what's more, there's, there's actually something in here for you as well. Because when you are baptized, when you were baptized, you were baptized as a priest, a prophet, and a king. You're a prophet of God. And sure, you might not occupy an official office like, like some people in the church do, but nonetheless, you are a prophet of God. And so there's a responsibility on your shoulders as well to, to find people. Well, first one, to be converted yourselves. Just like for me as a priest, my first responsibility is to be converted for myself. But then from there, to find people in your life and to be willing to take a risk in faith to find a way to talk to them about repentance, to talk to them about how we got to follow the ways of God because the ways of God are the way, is the way to heaven. And if we're not following the ways of God, then we're not walking the way to heaven. Right? We got to find a way to talk to people about that, which again, I know, I know can be difficult because it might mean that they might reject you. But it also might mean that they, they could have a conversion. It might also mean that, that someone who's not coming to Mass could start coming to Mass. Might might also mean that, that someone could start actually engaging and embracing in love the commandments of God. And that risk that you could take in faith would also mean you participating in the salvation of your own soul. It's, it's a lofty thing, yes. It's a big responsibility to be a Christian, in fact. So what we need to do, and this is just the last little encouragement, what we need to do, I think, is we just got to really pray for courage in today's world. We have to pray for courage to be willing to be the people that we know God wants us to be. To be willing to be people that embrace his commands out of love for him wholeheartedly, not compromising, not making things up ourselves, not thinking that we know better than him or his church to be courageous and willing to embrace the things that we might not agree with, but then also to be courageous in being willing to speak to others if we see that they're not following the ways of God. To pray for that gift. To pray for it especially if and when you're able to receive Holy Communion. Because it's there that we receive the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. And to pray, Jesus, make me courageous and make, make me a vessel for you so that when I speak to others, you might speak. When I myself am challenged by your word, by your teaching, you can respond within me. Jesus, be courageous in me so that I can, so that I can stay or get on to the path 
that leads to what is truly best for me to receive your love.